Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Welcome back to the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives and careers and general awesomeness of some very cool plant people, figure out why they do what they do, and what keeps them coming back for more. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your humble guide in this journey through the plant sciences. And as always, I'm so excited to be with you today. Hey, April of 2022 is almost over, and I I don't I don't have a folder for that in my brain. Super weird. This year has gone so fast already, but that means that it's time for our April question and answer session. And I've got some really great questions from TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And so if you haven't connected all those places, go do the thing and ask me a question. I would love to include your question in May. But um, yeah, let's talk about bananas. Okay, so if you've been following along, you know that I have dove, div, div and dived, I've, I've dived, I dove into the world of TikTok. And I had a video blow up pretty recently where I sort of yelled about seedless bananas for, I don't know, 20 seconds. And it currently, as of the recording of this, has about 1.2 million views, 150,000 likes. It's super weird, super weird. And it's always the weird stuff that, that, kind of takes off. So a couple of things. Um, first, there's a lot of different comments. And as and the longer it kind of sits out there and floats out there in the world, the not about worse, but the weirder some of the comments get. And there's a bunch of people that are absolutely convinced that the fruit that we were looking at in the video is a plantain. That could be true. It's not exactly the same as a banana, by the way. Uh, it's, it's similar in a lot of ways. And I don't think looking at it that what we were looking at was actually a plantain. Pretty sure it's banana. Even if it was a plantain, it was a seedless plantain. So I could make the same video and yell that it was a seedless plantain a bunch. So, okay, right? Sure. Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. But I said it's a seedless banana. So in this TikTok, I was reacting to one from Five Minute Crafts where they cut a banana in half and they scoop out the insides and they plant it and then a banana plant and then there's more bananas. Okay, most of the bananas that you buy in the store, and by most, I mean literally almost all of them, are functionally seedless. Now, if you cut them open, you will see tiny little black things inside. They're not tarantula eggs. I'm just just throwing that out there. And they are technically seeds, but they're seedless in the same way that like a seedless grape or a seedless watermelon or any of the other dozen seedless fruits we have on the market today are seedless. They are functionally seedless. We have bred them to have small, uh, non-viable seeds. So when you plant them, nothing really happens. This is not true of all fruits, but specifically things like bananas, seedless grapes, seedless watermelons, even if you planted one of the seeds that was in there, it wouldn't do anything. So essentially... It's not that complicated. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's not that complicated to get a seedless fruit. And I wanted to talk about that real quick. So the first thing you have to do is come up with a plant that does not have functional seeds. Well, how do you do that? How do you breed a plant without seeds? Well, you you don't exactly. You use seeds and then you breed these plants together and you come up with something that doesn't have viable seeds. So how it's often done, and this is not the only way to do it, but how it's often done is scientists will take seeds from a plant, a banana, for example, 
and treat it with a chemical called colchicine. And there's a couple of other methods of doing this. And essentially, they double the number of chromosomes or pairs of chromosomes, sets of chromosomes in those seeds. And so what we get is something called a tetraploid seed, a tetraploid seed. So there's four sets of chromosomes. It's viable, um, but there's some weird stuff that happens with with tetraploids. But you back cross it with a regular diploid plant that has two pairs of chromosomes. And what you end up with is a product, a next generation of plants that is what we call triploid. It has three pairs of chromosomes. This isn't viable. It can't recombine those genetics right. So even when that new plant, that triploid plant is pollinated and pollination happens normally, uh, technically fertilization kind of happens like halfway, the seeds sort of start to develop, but because the chromosomes can't arrange themselves correctly, because there's three pairs instead of an even number of pairs, it doesn't work right. And so we end up with a next generation of um, plants that will produce fruit. It'll actually produce mature fruit, but that don't have mature seeds. So that's how we do it. That's how we in general, make seedless fruits. After we have our seedless fruit, you just clone it. So bananas kind of do this normally where they put little pups out, um, little baby plants that come off of the stem or come off of the, the root system of the plant. You divide those up, you plant them, boom, you've got more uh, bananas with the same genetics, okay, more genetically identical bananas. And that's really cool. And then you've got something that you can do that over and over and over with either using offsets or tissue culture or cuttings or whatever. And then you have bananas that are genetically identical. There are problems with that, right? If every banana out there in the world that we're using, or at least most of the production bananas out there that we're using are genetically the same, then if a disease, say maybe fusarium, for those of you who know who I'm talking about, for those of you that I that don't, it's a it's a wilt that will attack bananas and make them go away. And so if one is susceptible to that, they're all susceptible to it. So there's a lot of breeding work that goes into it and a lot of work that goes into it. So yes, the banana was functionally seedless. No, that doesn't mean there's no seeds in it at all. Yes, I'm pretty sure it was a banana and not a plantain, but even if it was a plantain, the process is the same. It's the same thing. We still have functionally seedless plantains that are on the market. Okay. So one of the questions that I got is sort of a follow-up to this, that, and, and it's not exactly a question. It's something I got tagged in like a bunch after this video blew up, because apparently people know I like to yell about things with seeds or without seeds or, or whatever else. So there's this dude, and I, and I don't want to say who it is or, or really like, I don't know, call this guy out. I probably will on TikTok, or I have on TikTok, but I don't want to here because ultimately it doesn't matter who he is specifically, but he makes a whole bunch of very popular plant videos and he sells books. And the reason he makes these successful plant videos is largely to sell books. So he makes videos with a lot of things that sound pretty good, but, th but maybe don't quite test out. So there's one that I got tagged in like a dozen times, and I am going to make a TikTok about this, and I'll reference back to this and all that. But he takes a computer. He's like, take, take, a, not a computer. Oh my goodness, it's been a long day. He takes a cucumber and he cuts it in half, and he scrapes the seeds out, and he puts them on a paper towel. He puts them in a glass of water, and the ones that sink are good, and the ones that float aren't, and blah blah blah, and all that's fine. All right, grows a cucumber plant. Okay, 
you you probably can do that. There are seedless cucumbers out there. There's plenty that aren't. Um, so assuming you got one that has viable seeds, you can plant them and you can grow them and all of that. It's fine. Uh, it, it's annoying. Some of the ways that he goes about things are annoying. By the way, he sprinkles cinnamon on the seeds. Yes, cinnamon can be an antifungal, antibacterial, even antiviral. And it has some some good properties for that. It, it's not It's not really necessary. You don't need to put cinnamon on your seeds unless you're going to bake them so anyway that's neither here nor there um but what got me and what i wanted to address here and again i'm going to address this online in a tiktok as well is the caption that was on his video and this is actually important this is maybe going to be a rare serious moment for me okay so he the caption says on this video of him growing cucumbers this is how we solve world hunger hmm y'all okay so I, I get the point he's, I guess, trying to make. And it's it's a catchy caption, right? Great. That sounds really good. We're going to solve world hunger. Hey, I want to do that too. I think that sounds awesome. I would, I would love for that to happen. Like tomorrow, let's do that. Um, but buying cucumbers from the store and starting them yourself on your kitchen table in your $200,000 apartment, um, it's, not, it's not how we solve world hunger, Okay. There is so much tied up in this that that really gets to me in a lot of ways. And and one of the things I see here is that it's saying, oh, if everyone would just grow their own cucumbers, no one would ever go hungry. Oh, okay. I, I kind of kind of see that are not just cucumbers, but grow their own food. But what about for the people that can't, right? There's there's plenty of the world that based on a lot of things, socioeconomics, politics, governments, all these things, they can't grow their own food. They don't have space to do it. They don't have X, Y, and Z. And, and I'm sorry, but growing one cucumber plant in your apartment is not going to feed you for very long. You might get a few cucumbers and that's great. I think it's excellent to augment your food supply with things you grow yourself. I think we should all be growing some food for ourselves if we have the luxury to do so. And I think it, it it rings so hollow to me when people say things like this sometimes because, you know, there, there are large portions of the world that don't have the luxury. They don't have the luxury. They, they grow things in places where they can sell it and get enough food or, or grow enough food just to survive, just to survive. They're not out there like going to the grocery store and cutting their cucumbers in half and putting cinnamon on them and all these things. They're, they're trying to survive. And, and y'all, that's not always happening, right? We're not always providing in these situations. And, and there's people that live in apartments or in cities or in places where things don't grow. Maybe they don't have access to stuff. So we need to solve world hunger, but it's not through growing supermarket cucumbers and making silly videos. There is policy that goes into it. There is equitable access to transportation to supermarkets, equitable access to income, to um, the basics of life that let us address these problems of hunger and thirst and uh, homelessness and all these things. So so I, I get it. I get it. Yes, I wish everyone could grow all the food for themselves that they would need to survive and we can solve world hunger that way. 
but that's that's not how it works anymore, right? We we live and we work and we exist in this global food supply and this global food web that where we have to rely on one another, right? And the places where we can produce enough food and market it and sell it and package it and ship it, we should be helping in at least some way to address hunger in other places and not by telling them, oh, just grow your own vegetables. Oh, just have a garden. Oh, just plant some pots on your porch. Uh, It is not that simple. Um, And it is quite honestly elitist and naive and offensive in a lot of ways to suggest that it is. Okay, that was the serious segment of the podcast. Uh, I apologize don't apologize for it. It was important, but, but we're going to, we're going to move on. So, um, yeah, follow me on TikTok if you'd like. I'm at the plant prof. So, uh, I am going to address this there too. So the next question is from our friend Tyler Herman at Archduke Tyler on, uh, Twitter. And I've answered a bunch of questions for him because he keeps sending me questions and the rest of you should be sending me questions too. And I'll answer a bunch of your questions as well. So, I had said something about in the last episode where I talked about trees, about the drip line of trees. So Tyler asks, you mentioned the drip line for trees. Is the drip line so-called the closest place that will get direct rainfall? Okay, so is the drip line the place that is the place that will get the most rainfall, most direct rainfall? And is that where the feeder roots grow because they can access higher amounts of water as a result? So yes and no. So if you think of a tree, the canopy of a tree, think of it like an umbrella, where if you stand directly under a tree, yes, there is some water that comes down through there, that drips down through the foliage and the canopy, but trees are at least, not all trees, but largely many trees are sort of umbrella shaped, and the leaves lay over one another, and the the tallest leaves are at the top, and they sort of tear down, so the water literally sort of cascades down the outside of this canopy and yes some gets through but we call it the drip line because that's where the water like drips off of the canopy of the tree and inside of that you get some water falling but not as much so if your tree is like an umbrella and the tree is prioritizing trying to pull water up from the soil uh, it's not going to have a lot of feeder roots there between the drip line and the trunk because you're not going to get a lot of water there to begin with. You will get some, but not most of it. So, yeah, Tyler, absolutely. That's where most of the feeder roots are. They are, in general, out around the drip line because that's where the most water is going to end up being. That's where, when it rains, that tree is going to shed water down. It's going to dissolve nutrients in the soil where the roots can take it up. So, most of our root mass and most of our, um, not most of our root mass, I should say that differently, most of our mass of root hairs, which is where all the all the uptake comes from, right, where all the water's pulled in, all the nutrients are pulled in, are at or just outside of the drip line. And when I say just outside, I don't mean maybe two inches, it could be 200 feet, but they're out or outside the drip line. So yeah, when we talk about irrigating at the drip line of the tree, we're sort of trying to mimic as much as we can natural rainfall and where water falls and where water runs when it rains. So that's a really good question. Why is it called that? Well, because that's literally where the water drips. And two, should we be watering there because the, is that where the feeder roots are? And yeah, absolutely, for sure. So yeah, really good question. I like that a lot. 
And uh, I think it's important to know sort of the anatomy and the overall makeup of a tree. So when we talk about caring for trees and we talk about uh, working with them and figuring out the best way to keep them alive and keep them healthy, um, we should know where to water them. And by the way, if you live in West Texas or really a lot of the U.S. right now, it is super dry as I record this. Um, our One of our worst droughts on record was in 2011. We got like four or five inches of rain here in Lubbock the whole year. Uh, we have less than, we're, we're worse off now in April of 2022 than we were in April of 2011. So if you have trees in your landscape, you need to be watering them, folks. You need to be watering them. It is important that you water them. So uh, go out, water your trees, make sure they stay alive. Those are going to be your most expensive landscape assets, and it's really important that you maintain them. Okay, so the next question um, that I'm going to answer before the break is from... Sandman Stories presents at Story Sandman. So this question comes from Dustin. What's a good starter plant for a serial plant killer? Dustin, I didn't know this about you, that you are a murderer, a plant murderer. So um, the best plant you can grow. Oh, man, these are tough. I get this question sometimes, and it's a tough question. So I think... There are a couple of good options. Um, I would say, like, if you want a house plant, I would uh, go with a pothos ivy. Uh, that is a high percentage sort of plant. Pothos ivy can grow in a wide variety of conditions, um, whether it is on your desk and it's being fed by, like, I don't know, just the lights in your office or whatever, it does fine. It doesn't need a whole lot of water, even though you probably need to water it every time it starts to wilt. They're surprisingly tolerant for a tropical plant of some, you know, medium periods of drought. They do fine. Uh, another good one is um, snake plant. This used to be Sansevieria trifasciata. Uh, they actually just reclassified this. Now it is Dracaena trifasciata because um, now with genetic testing and genome sequencing, we can actually tell even a little more closely what plants are related to what other plants, which is kind of cool. So this is a Dracaena now. Uh, those do well in indoor conditions. They're really tough. They're actually incredibly drought tolerant and they can take lots of shade or they can also take full sun, which is really cool. And it's kind of rare in a plant. So yeah, Dustin, quit murdering plants. If you want to, don't, don't come after me, Dustin. I'm just kidding. Dustin's a great guy. And uh, I don't think he's an actual serial plant killer. I think he just is working on his 10,000 hours. Oh, by the way, they say that you sh to, to be an expert in something, you need 10,000 hours of practice in that thing. Um, or you could kill 10,000 plants. That kind of works out the same way. Or if you're trying to grow goldfish and you accidentally kill 10,000 goldfish, I feel like you're going to learn some things along the way. So... We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll do some mid-roll stuff. And we come back. I've got a couple more questions to answer. And we're going to talk about pumpkins. And we are going to talk about some upcoming content as well. Well, hey there. Welcome to the mid-roll. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're enjoying this episode so far. I am, again, not sorry for the super serious bit at the beginning. But it is something that I will soapbox about at length because I think it's super important. But for now, I would like for you to connect with me 
on the social medias so that you can see me rant about bananas and other things. So like I mentioned, I'm on TikTok as at the plant prof and you can find Planthropology all the places, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, search for Planthropology. It's Anthropology with a PL slapped on the front wherever you see the green background with the beautiful bristlecone pine um, drawn by my good friend, Dr. Beth Nichols. It is, you'll find me. That's me. That's where I am. You have found me. Congratulations. Uh, if you've got questions, if you've got comments, if you just want to say hi, I would love for you to just drop by on social media and say hi. I think that's super cool. It's like having more friends. And who doesn't want more friends? I know I want more friends. Uh, you can also send me an email at planthropologypod at gmail.com if you have comments, questions, anything else. Also, thank you so much to our sponsors of the show. So for the next couple of months, Forest Proud will be continuing the sponsor of the show. Hashtag Forest Proud. Forest Proud is a nonprofit organization focusing on forest-based and tree-based climate solutions. They connect industry, research, and the public and do a really great job of educating everyone about trees. Head over to forestproud.org for more information. And if you go to the shop and you find some cool swag, which their swag is super cool. So I bet you'll find some cool swag. Uh, when you check out, use the promo code Planthropology and you'll save 10% off your order. Also, thank you so much to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for sponsoring the show, for letting me do it, for being so supportive. Thank you, Dr. Richie, for seeing the value in this podcast and just letting me do the thing. It really means a lot and it's really a lot of fun. Also, if you haven't heard it before, I co-host a podcast. I, I use that term lightly, but I sort of co-host a podcast with my friend Rachel Boyd, who's a producer with Texas Tech Public Media, KTTZ, and uh, she does all the hard work. I just She shows up in my office. She brings all the gear. She deals with my stupid schedule and the fact that I can't remember to do anything ever, and she is a fabulous producer and editor and podcaster and just human being I, I love rachel to death so rachel boyd and i uh, do this podcast called in the grow which is a production of texas tech public media and right now they're doing their fund drive so if you'll head over to kttz.org and check that out and help support your you know well help support your local public media but you could also help support my local public media and uh it is a good cause npr is a thing we need public radio public media in general is super important so uh if you live in a place where you can support your own npr affiliate your own public media affiliate do the thing but also if you would head over to kttz.org and for a little bit of money help support a good cause i would much appreciate it and i know they would as well so here's a few words on that from rachel uh go listen to in the grow it's great we have lots of fun doing it but here's some words from rachel and then we'll jump back into the last couple of questions hi i'm rachel boyd host of the podcast in the grow and producer for shows noche de tango and music crossroads of texas it's spring, y'all, and you know what that means. It's time to get planting. But it also means it's fun drive here at KTTZ Texas Tech Public Media. If you enjoy our local content or our news coverage, please consider supporting us today by visiting KTTZ.org and clicking the donate button. We sure appreciate y'all and happy planting. 
All righty, we're back. We're back. Okay, so this one um, is has been on my list for a little while, and this is from my friend uh, Danae Cortez, who says, "Why can't I grow pumpkins?" All caps. Uh, exclamation point. Question mark. Exclamation point. Question mark. Three aggressively crying faces. Well, Danae, the answer is that pumpkins are kind of hard. Pumpkins are kind of hard to grow. And for anyone that's ever seen a pumpkin growing or has accidentally grown a pumpkin by, you know, letting it come up in your yard and it completely consuming your entire life in four minutes, uh, you may be saying, I don't believe you. I've grown a pumpkin before and it ate my dog. So when you're trying to grow pumpkins, sometimes it's quite a bit harder than when they just do the things on their own. So for the first thing, the first point here is it's about time to plant your pumpkins. So again, I'm recording this at the end of April 2022. May, June is really the right time to plant your pumpkins. So you want to go out, plant them when all danger of frost has passed. Uh, That is a sliding scale in a lot of places. It definitely is here in Lubbock. But you want to plant them when the soil is warm enough. So a lot of times, actually, a good rule of thumb is, at least for us here in West Texas, when they go out and start planting cotton and other large row crops, you can go out and plant your pumpkins too. This also applies to watermelons and things like that. The second thing you kind of have to keep in mind is that pumpkins take a long time. They are not a short season crop. And I think the shortest days to harvest from germination I can think of on a pumpkin is around 85 to 90 days. So that's right around three months. So if you're planting them in, you know, early May, your pumpkins are going to start becoming ready about August, you know, into early August. Some of them go up to 120 days, and those you have to make sure you get in early if you want to have them by Halloween or before the end of the season. I would actually recommend with some of these longer season pumpkins that take 100 to 120 days, start them inside kind of now, let them grow for a few weeks, not too many because they'll they'll grow fast, but at least a couple of weeks and then transplant them out in the garden. That kind of gives you a boost. You can go out a little bit earlier with them. So even if you go plant them, you know, first, second week of May around Mother's Day, they've already got some growing time. So you're, you're taking out a few of those days to maturity. And if you're like, I really want this pumpkin for Halloween or, you know, early to mid-October, Look at the back of the packet. It'll tell you the average number of days to maturity uh, and then kind of back that off and figure out, okay, how do I harvest this a couple of weeks before the end of October? Um, Plant it according to that. Okay, so timing is super important with your pumpkins. They also like well-drained soils. So that's not a problem for us here in West Texas. We have fairly sandy, uh, it's actually sandy clay loam. If you know what that means, great. If not, we'll talk about soils in a future episode. But uh, suffice it to say, we have soils that are fairly nutrient-rich, great for growing plants, and they're well-drained. What that means is they don't stay wet very long. So after a rainstorm, they're not going to stand in water for weeks. They may for a day or two, and then they dry out. Pumpkins don't like wet feet. They don't like their roots to be wet for a long time. In fact, in incredibly wet conditions, which happens in people's backyards 
quite often because you know we water we, we're we're there we're looking at it we're thinking about it so we probably water a little bit more than we ultimately need to and in these conditions they can develop root rot they can uh, develop like stem fungus uh, things like powdery mildew downy mildew things that'll kill the leaves and ultimately the pumpkins won't do well you can use some broad spectrum over-the-counter fungicides to combat this or you back off on your watering or water less frequently they like a well-drained soil that being said if you're really trying to get a good-looking pumpkin and fill that pumpkin and have it looking great you are going to have to water these plants they are big plants they have lots of leaves lots of mass Uh, a pumpkin to get really large needs a lot of water so you're going to be watering quite a bit you also need to fertilize them and nitrogen is key pour on the nitrogen Uh, we've got plenty of phosphorus and potassium in our soils at least here today and uh, so fertility making sure you water it making sure that the area that you're growing them in is not always super saturated even though you're watering it fairly regularly make sure you have enough time and prayer is helpful too so uh yeah pumpkins can be tough but they're also really cool plants and pumpkins are great okay um the last thing and this is not necessarily a question uh but an idea and something that i i'm hoping to sort of address more in future episodes so spencer martin who's an old friend of mine says i would love to see an investigation about plant urban legends those things that people say with total authority but no reason behind it like fruits versus veggies and all that stuff i think it's a super fun idea and i've tried to do a little bit of that on on tiktok and i think we've done some of that on here before but i'm thinking about going forward a a series maybe our series for next year even you know this year is tree talk uh next year we may look at plant myth busting and going through some of these urban legends that are super common like okay y'all really five minute crafts needs to to stop with the bananas banana i'm gonna do a whole episode on banana water one of these days um if you see this viral thing going around where it's like no save your banana peels and put them in a jar of water and shake it around and then you've got potassium and and things to to put on your it doesn't work that way it doesn't microbes have to be involved they have to break these things down into plant available forms so compost your banana peels that's excellent uh don't make hot banana water and put it on your plants okay so yes spencer that's an excellent idea that's something i'm definitely going to do and uh i will shout you out again when we get there but uh Y'all, what else? I think that's all for today. Um, Those were some really good questions. Uh, I think that I would love to get more questions from y'all, okay? I think this is so much fun. I think it's super useful. So send me your questions. Either email them to me or connect on social media and send them my way. Again, I'm doing a monthly Q&A going forward, so I need more of them. I've still got a few banked, but I would love to get more. So... Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this. You know how much I love you folks. You people are fantastic. It's been so much fun uh, getting connected with everyone on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram and, and just getting to be your friends. I genuinely, thoroughly love and appreciate every one of you. Thanks again to Forrest Proud and to Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for supporting the show. Thanks most of all to you, the listener. Um, keep being cool plant people i know you can do it keep being kind if you have not been kind to this point maybe give it a try we'll be back next week with an interview with dr matt johnson where we talk about moss and other cool stuff and it's lots of fun so until then y'all be cool y'all be safe y'all be good 
and we will talk very, very soon. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.